Hi, welcome to Lambert Park Church. Our vision is life with God for the world. Our mission is to invite everyone to follow Jesus with us through redemptive community, intentional discipleship, and everyday mission. We're so glad you're here. Stay tuned for the podcast coming right up. Living God, we have sung about who you are in your character and your ways. We see above all in the cross, in your going to the cross for the sin of the world, for the redemption of the world, that you are a God who is faithful in love, who loves all that you have made and are committed to all that you have made. And you are consistent. We can trust you to always be that way toward us. And it is a powerful thing for us to declare these words when we look around and we feel all that is broken. And even to hear these words spoken by women and men, young and old, who feel the not good of our world, of sin and its curse, and all the parts in the fabric of our being and creation and the world's story that are not good. But we stand today and we sing today and we come to your word today with gratitude and with longing to find our lives pulled into the hope of your restoring grace, pulled into the hope of a world that is not abandoned, but loved by you. And we, us, not abandoned, but loved by you in the midst of broken things. So as we come to your word, we come with a desire to be honest and to let you speak to us. So we bow before you, each of us, and together we bow before you for the others around us, those that we know, that many that we don't know, We ask that as a community, you would give us ears to hear your voice today. And we pray that across our city and across our time zone, as women and men are gathered to seek you and to find you, to be found by you, would you come and breathe upon your church? Would you come and speak your revelation through your word, through your servants, to your people? We pray this upstairs and downstairs today too for our kids downstairs in their groups, with their popcorn, would you meet them? Would you speak love and life over them? Give them ears to hear your voice. Amen. If you're to walk into my office these days, you might notice something new on my desk. And no, it's not this mug that has a hole for cookie to be put in it. I love that mug. I think my daughter made that for me in middle school or something. I don't know. I'm not totally sure where all my mugs come from. Um, But it's this framed print that I have beside me. Uh, I made it a bit obvious there for you. Um, And it's there for a reason these days as I return into the life of Lambrick as an invitation to me in this particular moment. But 
I think potentially all the time, I suspect it will stay on my, stay, on my desk or beside my desk for a long time. I'm gonna come back to that later, but I'm hooking you right now, partly because it's sitting there. So I'll leave it for now, okay? Um, if you have a Bible with you, I would love to invite you to open it with me to Colossians chapter one, verses three to eight. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, if you need a little reference or... Um, uh, page 1075, if you have the exact same Bible that I have, which you probably don't. Uh, Colossians 1, 3 to 8. Now we're in a bit of an in-between season, as you likely know. I've just returned from a three-month sabbatical, and we're not yet in the deep dive of the fall. And so like last Sunday, today's message is, is not part of a series. It's simply a pastoral message as I seek God in these days for you, for us, for this moment, and for what's coming. This text has been something that God has been speaking to me, and I feel it is for us. And I'm drawn to this first part of Paul's letter to the Colossians because of how Paul begins this letter, which is actually something of how he begins almost all of his letters, except Galatians. In a way, as I begin again with you, Paul's words here feel like a necessary invitation to me and I think for many of us. So let me read our text for us. Colossians 1, 3 to 8. Though I'm going to start in verse 1. Just to place it. I'm reading from the Ivy. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you've already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We, we say that as a church here and there. I want us to keep saying it more and more. Uh, God's word is what brings dead things to life, speaks creation into being out of nothing, makes what is from what was not, heals, restores, brings revelation. So, as much as when we come to Scripture, it's, it's another text. Like, like any, we bring all the things of our hearts and our minds and our experience to it. We also have a unique posture of, but this is a different word. So we say together the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I don't know about you, but it, is, it strikes me that Paul begins his letter to the Colossians here with this description of his thanksgiving to God for what God's been doing in the Christians in Colossae. Because as with all the New Testament letters, Colossians is what's called an occasional letter. Meaning it isn't just some theological or pastoral treatise that Paul feels 
he wants to say. It's not just a generic, let me give you some outlines of the normal things everyone needs to know. No, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter in response to a particular occasion, in response to something that was happening in the Christian community in Colossae. Typically, something concerning. Maybe many things. If we were to read the letter today attentively, we would notice some of what's been going on and namely what's going wrong in the life of this church. Certain half-truths and lies have worked their way through the Colossian church. Lies about the gospel, lies about Jesus, lies about the fullness of life and how to experience it. At the time, Colossae was located at the crossroads of a number of significant trade routes, which meant it was a place, a unique place, where all sorts of ideas about life and the fullness of life would be shared, would come together, would be encountered and experienced. This is before the internet and the smartphone where everything goes everywhere instantly all the time. There was a time where you could live in a certain place and be totally cut off from the ideas on the other side of your country. That's not what life is like anymore. You could live in the, the security, the safety, the simplicity of a, of a wherever that lived in a simpler time, less invaded by certain ideas. That is not the case anymore, right? But that was not the case in Colossians either. It was the place where ideas were shared because it was this crossroads of trade routes. And this infiltrated, influenced the church because people brought into their worshiping life, into their shared life, into their conversations and their social media feeds, all these ideas that were, they were interacting with. And it was leading some folks astray into ideas and practices and priorities some, if we were to pay attention to them, that would feel a bit more legalistic or conservative. Some, that if we listened to them, we might think they were more progressive, whatever it was. Many of which were not only a distraction from Jesus, but were actually a betrayal of Jesus and the gospel. In other words, things were serious in the life of the church in Colossae. Paul had reason to write this letter with urgency. And yet, in a way that's surprises me again and again before the Apostle Paul gets into any of the matters that we might expect him to address, Paul begins by saying, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. Does it strike you as odd? If you're to think of, maybe you got a letter from a family member telling you about all the broken things about your family off in the next province over. You know, you got an email about how everything's functioning in Edmonton, where everybody lives, or in Kelowna, where everybody lives, or whatever, and you've been told, hey, can you come and speak into this? It's a lot of mess. Would you expect the opening words to be this? It strikes me as odd because I don't think we usually start here. Particularly when we know, we know things are wrong, maybe wrong in many ways. In us or in others or in a community or in a family or in a church. We tend, many of us, to fixate on, focus on, be consumed with and fixate on what is wrong. 
don't we? Some of you are smiling because you know this is you. This is me. And it shows up in our conversations and our emails and our prayers. It is what prompts us to say something or to text something or to go to God in prayer even. So often it's the urgency of what is wrong that we feel needs to be called out, addressed, named, corrected, that drives us to speak or act or text or pray, right? But in this passage, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 3 to 8, we encounter a different urgency in the Apostle Paul. Despite his intimate awareness of the issues, the problems, the failings, the lies, the sins in and among these Christians in Colossae, Paul starts his letter with thanksgiving to God. Why? He starts it, well, first of all, he does this because Epaphras has told him. Uh, let me read it for us. It says, at the end of the verse, in verse 8, he says, You learn this, the gospel from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful, faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. I love that. What a beautiful thing. You get a casual glimpse of Epaphras, this young church planter and pastor who has founded, gathered, and is pastoring this church in Colossae. He's come to Paul because he loves his church. He's come to Paul seeking counsel and help. He's come to Paul to appeal to Paul to speak into his struggling community, to help address some of the things that are going sideways in their thinking and their living. But in the midst of this, he's also shared other things. He hasn't just talked about what's wrong, but he's also talked about what's going right, the good and the beautiful things. He's named the signs of life in his own church community. He has praised his people a bit to Paul. I love this. He shared not just about the problems, but about the beautiful things, the good things, the people, the ways that the Spirit has been and is at work in them. Their, their faith, he names it. Their love flowing out of their hope which has led Paul and Epaphras to pray, not just about the problems, but to pray together with thankfulness to God. That God is at work there. That in the midst of the mess, God is at work there. His life is evident in some ways. And because of this, Paul begins his letter with thanksgiving, and specifically thanksgiving to God, right? We always thank God. God, he says, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ and of the love that you have, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. In other words, these things are the sign of God being at work. It's not just, yay, Lee. It's, yay, Jesus, for your work in Lee. Yay, Jesus, for your work in these friends of that community and that family. And I think this is hugely important for us all the time, in all the seasons of our lives, and in this moment, in this season of our life as a church, in this, God, we can't call it post-COVID, right? Because there's still some masks. And that's not a critique, that's the reality, right? We're in a complicated space. We're still regathering, people are still shuffling, some people are still finding their way out, some, some way in, our life still feels complicated, though this summer maybe we felt able to make a couple plans and actually do them for the first time. Some of us had more holidays this summer, you took every weekend you could, than you have in a long time, because you felt like you kind of 
you finally could. And in this space, I think this is an important word for us because there's a complexity to this moment that we're living in and life in so many ways doesn't feel the way we want it to be. I know for me, as I re-enter the life of Lambrick and do a lot of listening, as I meet with different people in, the, in our community, as I meet with leaders and servants and listen to what's gone on in the life of our church, our shared life, as I listen to what's just going on in people's lives, as I listen to what is going on right now and what isn't. And I know my wiring, and I've done some learning this past year about myself, digging in to try to make sense of who I am, who God's made me and the gifts in that and the shadows of that. One of the things that's being named, I'm realizing more and more, is how much I am wired to make a list that is often an endless list, an impossible list of all the things that are not the way they should be. Not out of like anger, but my wiring is, well, we can make that better. So I make this long list of all the things that need attention, change, development, renewal, if not radical action, and all the people that need help, a call, prayer, encouragement, discipling, if not all out intervention and rescue. That is my wiring. Which is why Paul's words and example are both striking and needed. And I think not just for me, but for all of us. Because too often and too easily, as we become aware of the broken things, both in us and around us, areas of needed change, things that we or others have neglected for too long that are beginning to take a toll and need to be dealt with, things that are not the way they should be in us, in others, in the church, in a community, in a family, we can get so fixated and obsessed with the broken things that we completely lose sight of the ways that God is at hand and at work. And I'll just say right up, that's my big idea this morning. We can so easily obsess and get fixated with all the things that are wrong that we completely lose sight of the ways that God is always already at work and at hand. That God himself in grace is seeking, acting. Think about the Christians in Colossae. Yes, as this letter goes on, they had much to learn, much to repent of. Paul does not end this letter after his giving thanks. He has a lot to write. A lot that we and the church in every age need to hear. But Paul, inspired by the Spirit, knowing all of that, is quick, eager, and intentional to recognize and affirm and call out the ways that God is already at work, evident, at hand. And this led Paul to give thanks to God. Hearing all the things, the bits, the pieces, the broken things. In the midst of that, he gives thanks to God because God is already there. Always. We always thank God, Paul says, when we pray for you. The gospel that has been preached to you was bearing fruit in them, real fruit, the fruit of love and faith arising from hope. And Paul was unwilling to ignore this, to bypass it or to deny it. Or to let the Colossians do the same. To let the church do the same. And that's where it connects for us. 
Because we so often do this, don't we? I, I say this because I can be so prone to this in my own life. Honestly, I think this is a huge way that the enemy seeks to work in many of our lives, getting us fixated and obsessed with some area of sin or failing in our lives and making us think that it negates everything else about us, that it obscures and cloaks everything else about us. We see that one dominating struggle in our life, that besetting sin, that moment in our past of regret, that recurring desire, and we begin to see only that. And increasingly, we can't see anything else that God has done or is doing in us. And if we do, we discount it. We write it off as a lie, as just a foil, nothing in comparison, and we beat ourselves up. But it's not just something we do with ourselves, it's something we do to others, right? Or we do to a community or a family or a church. We get fixated on something that's wrong, maybe something that is legitimately and deeply wrong, and we start to see only that one thing. Or we consider everything else compromised by it or complicit in it. But here's the thing, it's not the truth because it's not the whole truth. We write ourselves or someone else off because of one aspect of their or our lives. We write off a church or we write off the church because of something that has wrong, that has been called out, caught in action. And after a while, it's all we can see. It becomes everything. But it's not everything. It's not the whole truth about you or me or them or our church or that church. Can you hear the serpent's work here? The enemy that takes one thing and makes it everything. I've heard people say uh, in the past that heresy is so often actually truth that has been turned into everything. It's not necessarily just a lie. It can be one thing that's turned into everything. And that so often is how the enemy works with us. This wasn't the whole truth of the church in Colossae, right? The Christians in Colossae. Some of them might have been tempted to think this way, you read Colossians, just as Ephesians or Philippians or Galatians, there's so much that needs to be addressed. There always is. We're all broken people. We're all sinners. We're all a mess. We all have baggage. We all have a shadow side and we bring it to the table way too often, right? That's our life. But the temptation is, the temptation for the Colossians is to think that's everything. Epaphras could have been tempted to think this way. The enemy certainly wanted them to think this way. Yes, they had lies to acknowledge and turn from. Yes, they needed their vision of Jesus to be renewed. Yes, they needed to deal with certain sin in their lives. But in the midst of this, Paul was passionate at the outset of his letter to this community to help them realize and celebrate that in the midst of all these things, God was also very much evidently at hand. Since the day you heard the gospel and understood it, God's grace has been at work among you, among them. And they needed to acknowledge and celebrate and thank God for this. And in truth, I think this is essential to our ability to actually face the other stuff, the broken stuff, the knowledge, the hope, that we are not just in a pit by ourselves, looking up, hoping to maybe get going, hoping that God will meet us at the top, 
But he is in that place with us and he is doing something already. Thanksgiving is not just a long weekend in October. It is an essential Christian practice. It is a spiritual discipline. It is a biblical command. It is a fruit of the Spirit, though it's not on Paul's list in Galatians, but it should be. But I'll talk to Paul and the Spirit about that another time. But honestly, it sh I think Paul knows it because it shows up in every other of his letters all the time. In Colossians, we encounter this six times. In the passage we're in today, Paul gives thanks to God. We always thank God. Uh, Colossians 1 verse 12, Paul describes his prayer for them to the end that they would give joyful thanks to the Father. Colossians 2 verse 7, Paul describes life in Christ as a life that would abound in thanksgiving. Colossians 3.15, I think the, this, yeah, Scripture says the wrong. It says 2 verse 7, but it should say 3.15. I point that out because some people love pointing out the flaw on the um, projector. Colossians 3 verse 15, Paul exhorts us, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body we were called to peace, and be thankful. Colossians 3.17, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In Colossians 4, verse 2, in Paul's closing and final instructions, he says simply, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Or as the NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with thankfulness. Alert to the ways that God is already at work. Again, Thanksgiving is not just a Sunday in October. It is an essential Christian practice that many of us need to learn. All of us. <laughs> a spiritual discipline, a biblical command. It is our calling as Christians. It is your calling. It is mine. Even if it's your not, not your natural bent. Maybe especially if it's not your natural bent. Not, I don't want it all imply that Doing this is in place of being honest about the truth. We're not to dismiss, ignore, deny the reality of our sin or the sin of others, of our failings or troubles, the brokenness of the world around us. But in the midst of this, in the midst of our honesty of all that is wrong and what's broken in us and around us, we are called, we need, all of us, all the time, to be alert to, keening for, honest about the ways that God is also at hand, at work, rescuing, calling, even stirring us, making us hungry for him. When nothing else seems to be God's way, but our heart says, oh, but Jesus, I want you. That is a sign of the Spirit. Our heart does not hunger for God's will and glory and ways unless he is at work in us. If he wasn't, we wouldn't give a rip. But a heart that says, oh God, would you come and redeem my family? That's a place where God is at work. Maybe not in all the ways you want to see it, but there's, it's a root, there's a seed there. Spirit stirring. Because if we don't, then we're not living in the truth, at least not the whole truth. And when we live in a lie, things die. We die, others die, hope dies. And God is not glorified. Honestly, I've got to pause here for a second just to say, I think some of us have spent way too much time cultivating and honing our capacity to notice what is wrong. 
about ourselves, about others, about the church or the world. Not that it's wrong to see and name what's wrong. It is not. Sometimes it is needed. But there's something wrong when it's all we can see and say. Despite what some of us think, Paul's list of spiritual gifts does not include the gift of criticism or the gift of calling out what's wrong as though it is just the hard edge of discernment. Because I don't think it is, especially if it's all we bring to the table. Paul himself was someone who had incredible wisdom and discernment, an incredible ability to parse through what was and name the lie, to name and expose and call out what was broken, what was a distortion, what was a betrayal. His letters are filled with it, but in the midst of it, he was constantly attentive, eager, and intentional to acknowledge, to affirm, to celebrate where God was at work, and to encourage others with this, and to thank God for it, to always bring it back to its source, to always call out to the community and to others, hey, this is God at work. This is God at work in you. This is God at work in you. Which is why I have this framed print on my desk. I bought it in Venice. That just sounds fun to say. Walked into this quirky little um, bookshop selling like first editions. Wildly expensive. You didn't want to touch them. I don't know if you're allowed to touch them. But then there's a table with these fun prints of animals you know, like, like a, a Doberman wearing a suit and a pipe type of thing. You know, that kind of stuff. Stuff that evokes other things. But this is the one that I wanted to put on my desk as a visual reminder to me, an artistic parable, to trust and expect that God is present and moving. I'm the boat, or I'm on that boat. And when you're sailing, you want to see life. And sometimes it just looks like there's nothing happening. There's not enough wind. There's nothing on the horizon. Happens to us, right? A friend calls and says, hey, I went out whale watching. I saw a whale. And you're like, I've lived here 14 years and I've never seen a whale. I have ridden the ferry 4,000 times and I have never seen a whale. But this picture to me is a artistic parable, a visual reminder that even when it seems like nothing is happening, that there's no wind blowing, there is so much happening. God is at hand and God is at work. God is here on the move in the life of this church. God is here and on the move in you and in me. And I don't say this today because I'm encountering a ton of mess as I step into Lambrick. I feel like God put this into my heart before I stepped in the door to say, keep your eyes out. Because of course you're going to find things that are broken, just as you will if you write your own journal about your own life. But in the midst of that, I need, we need to live in the truth that there is life in these waters, no matter how flat they seem. There is life in these waters. More than I could ever grasp. That's what this image says to me. More than I could ever grasp, even when I can't see it. 
And in truth, I think I am seeing it in these days as I listen. A number of years ago, Gordon Smith, a professor of mine at Regent College, challenged us as students to think, to rethink our daily practice of prayer and intentionally begin prayer wherever we do it, whenever we do it, with thanksgiving. I wonder where you start when you pray. What drives you to prayer and where you start when you pray? I think so often we start with, oh God, this is a mess. Would you come and do this? That's like the only thing maybe that makes us pray. Or we rack our minds with, I don't know what to pray for today because there's nothing really going on, whatever. I remember Gordon Smith encouraging us, calling us because of what I've said already, because of what scripture reveals to us about God being present and active all the time. He challenged us to rethink our daily practice of prayer and intentionally begin with thanksgiving. To break the habit of starting with our needs or our requests and to choose to start by thanking God for the ways that he is. That he is. And that he is at work. This is who you are. This is how you are towards me and toward your world. That is all the time. And then if I can, to name the, the signs of it that I can see. The gifts of grace. And to let this discipline of thanksgiving cultivate a heart of thanksgiving, awakening me to the reality of God all the time, all the time, all the time, and to stir in me and fuel in me hope amidst struggle, even joy amidst struggle. Because God is not ever off in the distance. Hoping, that, and I say this, that at least according to the God we encounter in Scripture. Maybe other spiritual narratives tell a different story. But the God we encounter in the pages of Scripture, the God that we know in Christ, is a story that tells us that our God is never off in the distance, simply off in the distance, hoping to one day break into your life or mine. No, he is always at work. He is always with us, sovereignly and intimately present with us, in us, in love, in Christ, by the Spirit, seeking his glory and his will for our good, for his glory, for the good of the world. And our job in that faith is to look for it wherever we can and name it and celebrate and thank God for it as we also name the broken things. And not only because it's true and real, but for the sake of our own souls too. For the sake of how this fuels hope in us to face the broken things with God. Trusting that he is here. He's here. He's already here. And so this morning, as I continue to re-enter with you as an expression of this, I want to simply say to you, as my church, how much and how often as I pray for you, I thank God for you and how he is at work in you. Over the last number of few months, as scattered friends and family would ask me, so how's Lambrick these days? How's Lambrick handled the pandemic? How's Lambrick handled vaccinations and masks and all that stuff? I have found myself so thankful to God 
for you, for who you are and how you are toward one another and toward me. Um, and here and there over these months, as I would be out paddleboarding at Theodos Lake or going to the grocery store to buy things for life, whatever, I'd run into some of you in different places and you would gush to me about your thankfulness for the ministry of another in the life of this church. I would hear these beautiful, oh man, last Sunday, I was so, man, Carly just spoke with so much love and life and faith or John or Lucy or whoever. I just heard this thankfulness for God's life here. I heard thankfulness for this surprising but not surprising warm hospitality of, of Brenda Lee or, or Shayla or Val or Luke and Lucy. I heard thankfulness to God for the act of prayer and uh, caring kindness of Sue Priestley or, or Ross Harris's tenacious care for wounded missionaries or the evangelistic inspiration and encouragement of Clayton and Isabel, the strangers and neighbors alike. We always thank God, Paul says, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith and of the love you have, a faith and love that spring from the hope of Christ. So in the midst of the broken things right now, the broken things in your life, the broken things in others, the broken things around you, the broken things in us, where do you need today because of the gospel, because of the grace of the gospel, where do you need to acknowledge and be encouraged by and give thanks to God? for being at work? What do, you, what do you need to thank God for that maybe you have been ignoring or minimizing? Who do you need to thank God for today, this week, and this season? Can we pray? let you speak your own prayer to God, your response to what God has said today, what I've shared, and then I'll pray. So Lord, I say my thanks to you that we are even just here right now as a community in the midst of all the broken things in us and around us and among us. You are at hand and you are at work. You are stirring in us longing for you and hope for you. You are making us aware of the needs of others and opening our hearts to care and to pray for so that someone else in this room in the midst of their brokenness is prayed for, loved, even at a distance, maybe up close. 
God, I thank you for the hope that the knowledge of your presence and work is for us in the broken things. And we pray that for one another right here, for those of us who feel deeply discouraged about something that is overwhelming maybe or abiding that so often feels to color over everything. Oh God, would you speak life through the revelation of your presence that would give us hope to, to face the broken things with you, to let you meet us in these things. And even, Lord, too, that, that this knowledge of your presence would make our hearts thankful for the invitation as far off as it feels, as I think we're gonna sing, you are the way and the truth and the life. You always are. You always are. And you are for us. For us. Lead us as we sing. Lead us not just to sing, but to meet you. Let these words lead our hearts or continue to create this space for us just to respond to you today, Jesus. Amen.